Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Now last week I opened up, it was Labor Day weekend, and I talked to you about the most important labor. And this morning I want to talk to you about our most important labor, part two. Our most important labor, part two. You see, because things haven't gotten better since that time, we haven't become more robust, the nation didn't become more Christian, those people didn't stay in the churches, they didn't continue to come back, they didn't come and say, hey, wow, this is great, you know what, we found a sanctuary, we're gonna talk to God for a while, but as soon as everything got okay, out the door they went. There was nothing, there was nothing solid there, why? Because the wrong thing brought them into the presence of God. The wrong motivation brought them into the presence of God. The great Charles Spurgeon is quoting, and I'm gonna talk a lot today about soul winning. This is our most important labor, part two. The great Charles Spurgeon was quoted as saying, soul winning is the chief business of the Christian minister. Indeed, it should be the main pursuit of every true believer. We should each say with Simon Peter, I go a fishing. And with Paul, our aim should be that I might be all, by all means, save some. By all means, save some. We can't candy coat it anymore. We can't dust it off anymore. We can't step it aside or excuse or set aside or delay any longer. The world desperately needs us. The world needs a church that isn't gonna scare them into into submission or a church that's gonna stand by and wait for the next terrorist attack or some other horrible event that will draw people into the church. See, our job is not to be the catcher, the receiver. Our job is to be the fisherman. In Jesus' parable in Luke chapter eight, the parable of the sower, he starts it out simply like this. He says, a sower went out to sow his seed. That's all the part I'm gonna reference in there. Very simple. He didn't say a group of leaders He didn't say a group of pastors. He didn't say the king, the chief, the boss. He said a sower, a simply unidentified person, rank and file, run of the mill, average, standard, however you want to put it. A sower went out to sow his seed. See, sometimes I think there's this understanding that there's gonna be some event or some thing, some bell that's gonna ring that's gonna signify, oh, it's time to get serious. It's time to get back to church. It's time to straighten up. You know, God's gonna give us this, uh, you know, warning signal, you know, three beeps and it's time to get back to church. And unfortunately that, I don't see anything in in scripture that's significant that would indicate any type of a process like that. There isn't gonna be some special event. There isn't gonna be some specific call. All there's gonna be is the call of the pastors and the ministers and the leaders and the prophets and the apostles and the people that are surrounding them, the call to say, it's time, we've got to get out and sow the seed. I think sometimes that people believe that the role of the pastor is to get out and go save your community, pastor. You planted a church here and it's your job to go out and take care of this stuff and, and get people into the church, teach 2,000 Bible studies a week and and, and, uh, and make sure you just get this thing going and we'll be there to sing our song and we'll be there to, to throw some coin in the, in the coffer and, and this is nationally, I'm speaking, I'm speaking about generally Christianity in this, in this nation, even worldwide. There seems to be this idea that the, the five-fold ministry is the ones that are gonna do the work. 
And many of you already know because you're actively involved in sowing seed and getting out there and and spreading the word and doing what you can. But as a whole, it's time to step the game up. See, the fivefold ministry, if you read further in that in Ephesians chapter five, the five, I believe it's Ephesians chapter five, sorry about the misquote. The fivefold role, the fivefold, fivefold ministry, it says is to perfect the saints. That means to equip them, to train them up. Well, pastor, does that mean you don't have to do anything? You just get to sit by while we go out and do all the work? No. When I step off this platform and I take this goofy tie off, guess what? I'm a sower also. I may be the shepherd, under the shepherd, but when the tie is off, I'm a sheep just like you. But we're at that point, we're at that time where the pastors, and I'm not the only one, and the ministers and the preachers and the apostles and the apostles, the prophets, etc., are beginning to reach out to the people and say, this is our most important labor. And we've got to learn to get good at it. Amen? In Acts chapter 1 and 8, we're told, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be what? You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, those of you that are filled with the Holy Ghost, you were given a power in order to be a witness. This is, this is Jesus' words before his ascension. This is what He's telling the disciples, you will receive power. He was talking about himself. I'm going to return in the form of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. I'm going to fill you with my spirit, which is going to give you utterance. It's going to give you inspiration. It's going to give you courage and power to be witnesses to me. Now, if you understand the concept of a witness, if you've ever been in a court case or watched Perry Mason or something like that, you know the job of the witness is not to go to sit in the gallery and stare at the wall and not do anything, let everybody else do the work. Witnesses speak. Witnesses talk about what they saw. Witnesses are sometimes the people who were victimized themselves or hit themselves in the court case. They talk about what happened to them. If we're be to, to be witnesses, we have a power that was given us, a great gift. By the way, it's that Holy Ghost that someday when that trumpet sounds, it's that Holy Ghost that's going to take that nasty, fleshy lump that, that we exist inside here and transform it into a spirit body and we're going to meet him in the air. Wow, that's an awesome gift, God. That's an amazing thing. What, that's something to look forward to. That day when he comes back again, you're full of his Holy Ghost. I know that if I'm doing what's right and God's with me, I'm going to transform and I'm going to meet him in the air. What a great and awesome gift. Oh, but in the meantime, but in the meantime, I've given you that power, that dunamis. You've heard me talk about it before, that explosive power. Dunamis is the word where we get the word dynamite. It's actually spelled D-Y-N-A-M-U-S, dunamis. It's the power word there. It literally means explosive power. And from that, we draw courage, we draw strength, we draw that witness. And as you study the word of God and you hide it in your heart, it's the power of the Holy Ghost that's going to bring words to your utterance. We've talked about this before. Our job with the power he gave us on Pentecost is to be witnesses unto him in the uttermost parts of the world. The prophet iterated God's words in Zechariah when he said, not by, my, not by might nor by power, 
but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's how you're gonna operate. That's how you're gonna make your way through this world. That's how you're gonna function as a Christian. That's how you're gonna proceed forward. Not by might or power, the other power, strength, but through his spirit. Amen, I'm just teaching a little bit today, is that all right? You see, what you may not understand is that the Holy Spirit, it takes the word of God and it convicts the sinner. As you begin to speak and share and share the word of God in your witness, there's a natural convicting power. Now, is that a brutal thing? Is that a mean thing? Is that, is that to condemn? No, convict and condemn are two completely different things. Conviction is a good thing. Conviction is the thing that says to them, I guess I'm not living right. I'm not living according to what God intended for me. I am a sinner. And so in our witness and in our words, we're not condemning, we're not guilting people, we're not beating them up. We're simply sharing our perspective, our testimony. I was a sinner. I was once lost, but now I'm found. And those words through the Holy Ghost and the word of God create conviction for people. It's that little something inside here that says, oh, that, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. What do I do? Remember the guys on the day of Pentecost? The Bible says they were pricked in their hearts as Peter told them what they'd done in destroying the Christ, the son of the living God. They were pricked in their hearts. That was conviction. That was the power of the Holy Ghost already operating in Peter that he just received, mind you. He was brand new with the Holy Ghost. Within just a few minutes, maybe even less than an hour, he's preaching and teaching and extolling God's word with the Holy Ghost and convicting 3,000 people Now, did those people convicted, they fight them and say, oh, don't tell me this, I hate you. Did they run away? No. They said, men and brethren, what do we do? What What am I gonna do now? You just made me aware that we killed the son of God. And so the opening was to say, well, I, I know what you can do. I know what the word of God says that you should do, Right? And he went on to preach that, that message, repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's the opening that that conviction makes for you. But you have to be willing. You have to be willing to be a sower and sow the seed. You have to be willing to allow the Holy Ghost inside you and your testimony to come out. God's just not gonna flip a switch on you and suddenly, pa 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 pa. one day I went to church and this great thing happened to me. That's not how it works, right? But we've got to be willing to be a sower because this world desperately needs someone who's gonna bring them hope and truth, not fear, not anxiety. I don't want them coming in here because Afghanistan's blowing up or coming in here because the, COVID, the 74th COVID variant now just causes people to burst into flames when they get it or, or whatever nonsense the media is gonna tell you. Don't go out your doors. COVID-22. You burst into flames. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse six says, in the morning, sow thy seed. And in the evening, 
withhold not thy hand. In other words, do it in the evening as well. For thou knowest not whether thou shalt prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. You understand what that's saying? It's saying be at the work all the time. Sow it in the morning. Sow it in the afternoon. Sow it at work. Sow it on your lunch hour. Sow it when you get a chance to talk to somebody. Sow it in the evening. It doesn't matter. You don't know whether it's going to prosper or not. And too many times I've listened to people say, I've tried to talk to people and they won't hear. And they gave up. But Solomon, in his wisdom, is basically saying, just keep sowing it. Because you don't know where it's going to prosper. It's not your job. You understand that when the farmer goes out and he takes his seed and he puts it in the ground, he doesn't stare at it real long and go, until it germinates and a plant comes out. Right? He might put some water on it. Hey, bud, how you doing? I'm just checking in on you. Really appreciated our conversation the other day. Is there anything I can answer for you? I'd love to have you stop out. Come and see our church. We have this nutball pastor. You'll get a kick out of him. We might water some of that seed, right? But our job is to sow the seed. It's to put it out there. We don't know if it's gonna prosper or not, but he says, or whether both will be good. You might have success every time or two times. See what I mean? These things exist in the word of God because they're a promise to you that if you take action, if you determine in your heart, I'm going to be a sower of the seed, I want to be about the most important labor that I could possibly be, God will prosper what you're doing. It might take 15 times. Well, did him hanging on the cross make it worthwhile for you to try the 16th time? What if it takes 100 times? What if you spend the next 60 years, young people, Sowing the seed and sowing the seed and nothing happens in your mind. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Because I can tell you that when I want to stand before God Almighty that day, that great day, and I stand before him, I want to be able to at least say, yes, Lord, I put the seed out there every single day. I tried. Because you think, he's like, well, you didn't produce anything. Again, it's not my job to germinate the seed. You know whose job that is? Yeah, you got it right, Cassie, that's right. It's Jesus' job. We can plant some, we can water some. It's up to God to germinate it. Amen? Okay, told you I'm just to teach a little bit. Isaiah chapter 32 and 20 says, Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters. Everywhere. Have you written off a spot? A place? It's just impossible. I would never talk about God in this location. Mm, mm -mm. You're blessed if you're willing to sow seed in every place that you are. I can't tell you how many times just in recent time. I have, see, I have fun with this. You go, well, you're a pastor. You were told to do that and it's part of your job. And okay, yeah, that's true. But I also came up under a pastor who taught me how to sow seed and share the word of God. Not just because I'm a pastor, because I have a card in my pocket, but because it was the right thing to do. And so I can't tell you how many recent times, I've changed it now, but we've been out at different things or doing stuff and we start talking to somebody about the word of God and start, start talking about our testimony and who we are and pretty soon my poor wife's digging in a purse for another card. Don't you bring your cards? I'm like, I ran out. 
And she's, she'll find one and she'll say, I'm sorry, this is really mangled, but this is our church. <laughs> you know, but so what, right? We're getting better at that because I, I, I keep restocking my cards. I have a stack in my truck and I carry a couple in my wallet. But she's digging in her purse all the time, handing these, and there's notes on them and there's people's phone numbers. <laughs> when, you get, when they get wrecked, you use them as notes, right? So anyway, my point is, is that no matter where you are, you have the opportunity. And opportunities will come up. We were sitting out at like Wahlburgers or something like that, and we got talking. With, that was, you guys were there, right? And we just talked with this lady. Sure, here's a mish. Digging in her purse. Here, here you go. Because <laughs> I didn't have one on me. But we were sharing the word. We were inviting her to church. We were, we were talking to this lady about the word of God. It's fun. It's enjoyable. I've never had anybody punch me in the face or shoot me or call the cops on me because I was just sharing my testimony. Remember my, remember my message last week about the kid shaking, opening the door to go in and never had anybody shoot at us. Maybe down the road that could happen, I suppose. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 4 tells us is be careful not to wait for perfect conditions. And this is sometimes I think we fall into this trap as well. We're waiting for that certain circumstance, that person who's at the, at the threshold of death or, or that person who's at their last, at their last moment or, or they're at the end of their rope or they've just hit rock bottom. Well, that'll be the time or, or God's gonna suddenly push me or God's gonna ring a bell and, and all this stuff. Ecclesiastes 11 and 4 says, he that observeth the wind shall not sow and he that regardeth the clouds will not reap. In other words, if you're waiting for per- perfect conditions to throw the seed out there, you're never going to have those perfect conditions. There's always going to be wind, and there's always going to be some kind of cloud or some kind of storm going on or something busy in your life. Make, make being a sower part of who you are, regardless of the weather conditions. Amen? Psalms chapter 126 and 5 says, they that sow in tears. Now that word tears there doesn't mean that you walk up to people bawling your head off. I want to talk to you about Jesus. No, it means with care, with love. See, tears in this particular passage signify compassion. Because maybe, maybe in your prayer closet at home after you've shared with that person and you've talked with that person, maybe in your prayer closet you go home and you sit there and you talk to God and you shed a few tears for that person you desperately, desperately care for and want to see find the Lord. Amen? They that sow tears, excuse me, that's, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, again, cares, compassion, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves, his harvest of souls. I can tell you that one of the most amazing things, the great, one of the greatest blessings in life is when you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and they respond. And they say, yeah, I want to come. I want to hear what God has to say. And you see them baptized in Jesus' name. You see them filled with the Holy Ghost. There is nothing greater on this earth there is no joy greater and I want that for every single one of you to be able to feel that and understand the meaning and just feel God wrap his arms around you and just say thank you thank you precious saint for sowing my seed and speaking my word see because God does love the world He doesn't love what they do and he doesn't love their actions, but he loves the world. 
and he wants all to be saved. In Acts chapter 20 and 31, Paul said it this way. He said, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul saw the spreading of the gospel or the sowing of his seed, the ministry that he was in, Paul saw that as a warning. How many understand and know that part of the message is a warning? See, because this is a pass-fail type scenario, isn't it? This isn't, God doesn't grave it on a curve. And so Paul understood that sharing that gospel and winning souls, he said he'll, he'll do whatever to win souls. He would, he would be what people needed him to be if it was just to help him win a soul. But he understood that it was a warning. Aside from the great blessing that we get, winning a soul causes rejoicing in heaven and it promises rewards. Look at Daniel chapter 12 and 3. It says in Daniel 12 and 3, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And listen what he says, and they that turn many to righteousness, essentially if you could put the sentence together in pieces, it would say, the, it would say the, uh, I'm sorry, the subject and the predicate can be in both parts of the sentence. In other words, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness will shine as the stars forever and ever. That's a powerful statement if you understand what that means in God's terms. The brightness of the firmament, God's creation, there is nothing more powerful and greater than his brightness in the firmament, the way he shines. So if you turn many to righteousness, you'll shine as the stars forever. I think that's a pretty awesome promise. Amen. Many of you know and understand that the term Christian means Christ-like or follower of Christ, right? People have that debate all the time. What, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means being Christ-like. It means more being a follower of Christ. But absolutely does, in many aspects, represent mimicking him or following him or duplicating Christ, right? He's in us, reconciling the world, etc. So I think it is fair to say in a lot of ways, being a Christian is doing what we can to be as much like Christ as we can. In soul winning, we become most like Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 19 and 10, for the son of man, he said, is, to come, is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now Jesus healed people. Jesus encouraged people. Jesus fed people. You know, I know there's some churches out there that, and, and they do a wonderful work, don't get me wrong, but they set their whole organization up on good works we build wells in Haiti. We feed the poor. We do, we, do lawn, we do clothes drives. We do coat drives. We buy shoes for the poor. Those are all wonderful things, things that we can do. Those are good works. But they build the entire foundation of their faith on those works. Jesus didn't come to put shoes on people's feet. He didn't even really come to feed people. Feeding, as Brother Matson talked about in Sunday school this morning, those 5,000 and 4,000, he didn't come for that purpose. He did those things for the very lessons that Brother Matson exposed to us and showed us in the Word. 
He didn't come to make people feel good. He didn't come to make people feel comfortable. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Christian, if you want to be Christ-like, if you want to be most like what Jesus really is, be a soul winner. Be a soul winner. I know people in different, all different aspects of life that call themselves Christians, but man, oh man, do they miss the mark when it comes to being like Christ. It's a very strange irony. Amen? Is this all right? Just some, some talking and teaching? Okay, I, didn't, I don't want to lose you. I'm almost done. He said in Mark chapter 10 and 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. If you want to follow him and be like him, win souls. I've got a little thing sitting in the office right now that talks about discipleship. If you want to be a true disciple, a true disciple of the church is a person who stops receiving from the church and starts contributing to it. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Right? Jesus called disciples not to receive everything from him and enjoy them, but to take what he received from them and build the body. Amen? If we want to be like him, you guys remember that way back in the 80s, I want to be like Mike, the Michael Jordan thing? Remember that? I want to be like Mike. I think it was related to all the millions of dollars he made. I don't know if they wanted to play basketball, but I want to be like Jesus. I want to be here for the sole purpose of taking that awesome blessing that he gave me. He saved me. He saw something in me that said, you're worth it. And I don't want to see you ending up a soul in hell. So I think that I can take the remainder of what's left of my life and dedicate my walk to winning souls. Amen? It comes down, in my opinion, by the way, to, to the idea of whether we've been convinced or whether we've been converted. And I'm stealing this concept from a friend, but it hit me so hard when we talked about this not too long ago. Are you, have you been convinced or have you been converted? Have you just been convinced that this is a good thing to do and, and you're willing to hang out and enjoy? Or have you been converted from what you were into what Jesus wants you to be? Are you converted and then convicted by what God has given you to do? I'm closing this morning. I'm gonna share an ESV version of scripture with you. That's the English Standard Version. 2 Corinthians chapter two. It should be up here in the ESV. 2 Corinthians chapter two, starting at verse 14. Paul says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. I wanna explain something about this scripture. Paul was, Paul was a Roman and the Romans loved to march around. Always their, their armies and their soldiers were constantly marching around the streets of Rome and other places with their swords and their shields and all that. Always marching around in triumphant processions. And what they were doing was just sort of extolling their military might and showing off and, 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 and letting people know how strong they were because there were a lot of people floating around Roman cities 
that we're not Roman citizens and actually we're, we're subjects of the Roman Empire that were captured and their lands were destroyed and they were sort of drawn in and they were slaves and they were house slaves and they were different people. There were Jews there. There were all these people all around these Roman cities. And so the Romans had to continuously march around with all their armor and their soul, you know, their, their swords and their, and their big spears. And, and that was just a message to everybody. We're in control, right? And so in these triumphal processions, they had uh, different things that were going on and they, they had these, these uh, 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 priests, if you will, would walk and they had these things called censers. If you know what a censer is, those of you who are from a denominal background would know what a censer is. It's kind of a metal ball on a chain and they, they put stuff in there like incense and it's burning and they would, they would wave these things. It would create a smell. It, create an, uh, an, it was aromatic, right? And it, I'm not gonna get into what all that represented. Just know that that was going on. And so they would, they would walk up and down the streets and these these holy men or whatever they were would, would have these sensors with the smoke coming out and the smell and everything. And maybe it was just because there was nothing but horses and animals everywhere and the streets of Rome were probably pretty nasty. Um, but Paul saw this and he knew this and he incorporates this into this passage in 2 Corinthians when he says, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. In other words, it's God's triumphal procession that's really meaningful, that has the authority and the power. But listen to what he goes on to say in the ESV version. You can read it in the King James, slightly different, but the same meaning. It says, through us and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. In other words, your presence in our triumphal processions through life, because folks, you should be operating in a triumphant procession wherever you are. You have Jesus Christ inside you. You have the victory now. You have a promised end to you. There should be no reason for you to walk around with your chin hanging in the gutter and walk around complaining about everything and, and I don't like it this way and I don't like it that way. You should be triumphant in the way that you walk because Jesus Christ dwells inside you. So Paul is simply saying as you traverse in your triumphant procession, in other words, walking around with your head high, feeling good, smiling, smile at the lady at the gas station, smile at your coworker, be triumphant. Any of you, I know nobody in this church does it, but I bet in a couple others, there's people that just sit at their job in their cubicle, boss stinks, I hate that guy. And they got the Holy Ghost. Feel bad for those folks. But it says with our triumphal procession and he inside us, we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Listen to what he goes on to say. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among who? Those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I want you to think about this now. This is my second of the last scripture and I'm closing. We walking triumphantly around the world. Now, a lot of people may not even know. Some people just don't know. They don't know you're full of the Holy Ghost. You're a Christian. You've had the victory. But they're walk, you're walking around. You are the very aroma of Christ to God for people in the world. You understand? You're the scent, the essence. You're the thing that can draw. Wow, this, this guy, something's different about this fella. Wow, something's different about this lady. Wow. You smell good, Missy. No, I'm not meaning literally smelling good, but you understand there's, a, there's that thing, that aroma, something's coming off of you that says you are different, you're triumphant. You walk with your head held high. Mm, you know what? That sounds really good, but it says that we walk with this aroma amongst the people who are being saved and those who are perishing. Well, what's the difference between the two? You are. 
You're the difference between the two potentially. You're the aroma that they can catch. You're the person walking triumphantly, but it's because of you, you have the opportunity now to sow the seed, to share the message, to let that aroma make sense. Now I understand why you smell so good. You're full of the Holy Ghost. You've got a testimony. You've got something to say that gives me hope. It gives my soul something to enrich me. Tell me what you've got. Give me more. I want to come. I want to learn. Do you understand? We're walking amongst those who will be saved and those who will perish. It has not happened yet. They still have a chance. They still have an opportunity. And we're walking amongst them triumphantly, carrying that wonderful, sweet savor of God. And all we've got to do is open our mouths and connect the dots. That's why you look so good. That's why you're so triumphant. That's why it just seems like you're different. Does it make sense to you? Is it hitting home? Thank you, Lord. He goes on to say in verse 16, to one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. In other words, misleading people, misusing the word. But as men of sincerity, and there's that word again, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Do you understand that, what that means? When it says that from death to death or from life to life, that part of the sentence, that part of the program simply means this. You walking triumphantly, you're carrying the aroma of Christ. You have all of that testimony. But when you speak, when you sow the seed, you now take the ownership, the requirement, the obligation off of you and you put it onto them. It's now their choice, whether it's from death to death or from life to life but you've got to speak. You've got to sow the word. You've got to give them the chance because they're ignorant and they don't know. Somebody's got to take them the word. Somebody's got to give them some of the seed. And I think it should be those of us who walk triumphantly in our procession, in our censers waving back and forth of the aroma coming off of us of, of victory and success and love and compassion and all of the things that God has given us. If we let that thing out and we simply take that final step and speak the word, sow the seed, give the testimony, then it's up to them. Why? Because it's another way, again, he says, we're, we're, we're not like so many that are peddlers of God's word that we just manipulate it for different reasons, do things wrong, we mislead people. Read it in the KJV. But as men of sincerity commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak Christ. There's your commission. There's your job. That's how you sow the seed. You speak Christ. And it's sad because even in the parable of the sower, you've heard me say this before, in the parable of the sower, 75% of the seed fails. But that's not the sower's job. It's not for us to stand there and in our triumphant procession and waving our aroma and letting people know something's different about us and sharing the word. Once we sow that seed, it's not up to us to stand there and make it germinate. We can water it. We can nurture it, but whether it's from death to death or from life to life, then becomes them. And we have no control over that. 
Last scripture, you can stand with me this morning. John chapter 15 and 16. Jesus' words are so beautiful, so poetic, and so powerful. Sometimes it's almost overwhelming to read them to you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Why, God? Why did you choose me? Why? And then he says, I have ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Come to this altar this morning and say, Jesus, please make me a sower of the word. Please give me courage, God, to speak it out. No matter what waters I travel by, no matter what land I'm in, no matter what the clouds look like, no matter what the sea looks like, no matter how much wind is blowing, But as I walk through this life triumphant because of you, Jesus, because of what you've given me, and the aroma of your glory and your victory is coming off of me, give me the strength, God. Give me the strength to open my mouth and testify and sow the seed, God. I want to be worthy of all that you've given me, Jesus. I want to be worthy, God. I want to be worthy of the great victory you've given me. Thank you, Jesus, for your call. Thank you for choosing me, Lord. This altar is open this morning. Whatever you ask in his name, he'll give it. I think today's a day to ask him to make you a sower. In Jesus' name. Love and appreciate you, church. God bless you. This altar's open. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.